back to Star Wars Escape Pod and our uh, finally we got around to reviewing uh, Star Wars Brotherhood. We've got a few uh, voices on the show today which uh, you know we're stoked to uh, introduce you uh, reintroduce AJ, a good friend of mine joining us back on it's been a while since we had him and Blake, uh, Blake of course your co-host and finally we got Bryce returning to the show. So let's chat Star Wars Brotherhood with them. landing. The Clone Wars have erupted. <laughs> Caught off guard and quickly expanding conflict. The overwhelmed Jedi Order has rushed the advancement of Padawans to better integrate into the Grand Army of the Republic and assist the war effort. Newly promoted Jedi Knight Anakin Skywalker is increasingly torn between his growing duties to the Republic and his secret marriage to Senator Amidala of Naboo. With his knighting, his mentor Obi-Wan Kenobi has been elevated to the Jedi Council under the rank of Jedi Master. As dark forces push, the Jedi further toward the transformation of the Guardians into soldiers. Anakin and Obi-Wan find themselves on equal footing, yet opposing paths, each wondering the meaning of peace and justice during a time of war. <laughs> that was perfectly well timed, if I say so myself. Yeah, uh, well done. That was <laughs> great. You just watched, it felt like I was watching Clone Wars. Yeah, uh, I thought you were playing a recording. That's, which uh, will come first, <laughs> Obi Wan's? <laughs> which will come first, Anakin's romance or Obi Wan's bromance? Torn <laughs> yeah. between two worlds. What will Anakin decide? <laughs> yeah, that's totally the vibes I got from this book. I don't know about you guys, but uh, you know, reading this book, I was like, dang, I feel the Clone Wars voices in my head as I'm going page to page like this and it was uh, it was fantastic it was it was definitely it made its way to the top 10 star wars books i would recommend as an essential read for anyone going through the canon um but uh, what are you, what are some of you guys initial impressions on this it was like the one of the first times that since in, in a while since I, I i ended up listening to the audiobook and um it, it was like I, I haven't listened to many star wars audiobooks but like there were parts that I literally got chills. Mm. Like when I could, I, I like envisioned it specifically like the very end of the book when there's just, uh, um, 
when they're just reintroducing like Anakin and Obi-Wan coming through the mist with the lightsabers. And I was like, oh, this was is so like cool. so classic. And I had like yeah. the music and I could just envision it. And I was like, man, what a, like, I, I don't know. It was, it was just like this classic Anakin and Obi-Wan adventure. And it made them seem so heroic and such like a great duo. Mm-hmm. Did a great job. Oh yeah. That's, that's yeah. That's, so that's true. Great. Yeah. Yeah, oh, you... It reminded me so much of uh, just the all the books that came out before Disney purchased the like purchased Lucasfilm, right? It was that cool throwback. And there was a moment I know that hit me when I was like halfway through, and I felt this weird like feeling like I haven't read something that was from this era in like so long. I felt like I should be reading something from the original trilogy. <laughs> Yeah, that's all we've gotten for 10 years. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this was a great, great look into the past and, and a reminder of all those old Jedi quest books and uh, Jedi Apprentice. And, and uh, uh, it's like an era of scholastic books that has almost been long forgotten by by the new generation of Star Wars fans. And uh, this was a great callback to all of that stuff. But uh, yeah, AJ, what, what was your initial thoughts on this? Yeah, it was definitely our heartstring puller. Um definitely was written with more um motion than other books that i've read um recently so that was just great to be able to see how um obi-wan and anakin were both internally struggling and how well they were able to just mesh and work together Mm -hmm. um, to get the job done so that was kind of great because everyone likes to put people on podiums or whatever and say this guy's perfect but once reading this book you can actually get an inside snapshot of what they're thinking and their struggles that they have mm-hmm. yeah that was super cool i really liked just the all the doubt that you really got from obi-wan with his training of anakin not knowing if he did it right because he because yeah. they really got into how obi-wan was trying to teach anakin to be like a perfect jedi trying to be a perfect jedi example of what he thought it should be and then he was questioning, like, after now that the apprenticeship is finished, maybe he should have been more uh, similar to how Qui-Gon was, right? More, like, kind of free-flowing. Right. Yeah, he starts noticing that Anakin's picked up, you know, Qui-Gon's traits. And he's like, man, Qui-Gon yeah. really made an impression on this kid, even though he knew him for, like, a week. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's crazy. Yeah. Right? So... Yeah, that's a that's a great, uh, that's a great point. Um, there was actually something uh, in... in uh, well, there's a few times in the book that that comes up, uh, but did you guys notice that um, they they subtly mentioned a few times that Anakin's about Anakin's monotone voice? No, not specifically. Did well, I mean, quote? in the audio book, the guy tried to do his best job. <laughs> 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 I uh I uh so so in 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 chapter 2 is the first time it comes up but it, it periodically kind of comes up whenever he's talking to the Jedi masters and uh there was there was one little line here which said uh, if he had been speaking his voice would have reverted to the formal uh monotone yeah that he always okay. used around the elder Jedi uh so I was yeah, I thought that was Yeah at the same time uh, referring to Padme as well yeah it, to speak it was right. It, it was just kind of a nice little nod to just the way that that portrayal came off in the films. Right. <laughs> no, I want to mention that too, because I thought he did such a good job at like, at, at, at exactly what you mentioned was like, 
um, kind of he did a really good job at describing the mannerisms of like the not just like the characters but the actors and how they portrayed the characters in the films. Like when um, they first learn of the of the bombing, uh, he kind of describes Obi Wan as as you know he puts his hand over his mouth and we've all we all know what that looks like when he when hmm. you know. You know, he kind of like half covers his mouth in that in that that way that Obi Wan looks. the father, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just and, and like he he has so many of those like those little things that you would never like like think about, but yeah. then yeah. you hear it described and you can picture it perfectly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so uh, th- there was another thing that I really loved about about this. Um, uh, I love the tale of the sun dragon, and it was it was a bit of a parable for how Anakin's heart is and how it's different to the other Jedi, yeah. uh, which also affects a lot of his mannerisms. But but did you guys have any thoughts on on the sun dragon tale? Um, I just I remember that it was something that his mother had originally taught him, right? And she she used it as several examples for like for encouragement as well as for like disciplinary action. It was always kind of the same story through a different lens. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I just I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. yeah uh, I just, like like I, like they describe it, she describes it as like this dragon's heart is so hot, right? That it yeah. can it can you know, as long as like it can outshine and outburn like anything, you know, and as long as anything yes. cares enough, you know, he's he's saying that like as long as my I have like uh, the heart of a sun dragon, you know, I can I can care about something so much. I will like, I can I will always have the power to like protect it or save it. Right. Yeah. And I think, I think that's also like a pretty cool, like foreshadowing thing mm-hmm. too. Cause it's like, Oh, what's the, uh, you know, when I, I got thinking about it, I'm like, okay, well, what's the only way, you know, I could like, you know, stop this like sun dragon with this like f- crazy flaming heart. You know, the only way to do it is like, you know, extinguish the heart right mm. and it's exactly what happens you know this like when the sun dragon's heart kind of goes away like when you know padme dies like the, exactly like the emperor does you know i don't know i, I just no you're you're definitely cool you're way. definitely onto something that's kind of why i bring it yeah. up because uh because the heart of the sun dragon represents kind of this glowing uh this this super bright point within within anakin that that um Mm -hmm. this this jedi that we're introduced to this this youngling um has the ability to kind of see that inside of him and uh it it really represents his love for for padme and she knows that if that gets extinguished she she knows that Mm -hmm. something bad would happen right Um, and so at the very end of the book she says to him that that he she she says uh, you don't always need to be the sun dragon and uh, yeah and I was like, "Oh shoot! Like that's that's uh, uh, that's it, it's it, just a different way of of Yoda kind of telling him to train himself to let go of everything that he fears to lose uh, in the movie, mm-hmm. because because that's exactly what what happens is he's so afraid to lose Padme and to to uh, undergo that that sense of loss that uh, he does absolutely anything he can to." Uh, protect her right and to protect that that thing that he holds so dear to his heart which is uh you know what his mom would refer to as the sun dragon so um i, I loved the the parable quite a lot and that, and, that, and it came up through through the book uh very frequently so uh, i thought that was great it's almost right? a lesson that like it's almost a lesson that a lot of people can learn too you know mm-hmm. we all know someone like that that like they try and try so hard eventually they just burn themselves out 
right? right? Yeah. And it's mm-hmm. almost like you have to remind this person, like, yo, like you you can do stuff for yourself. Like, you got to take your, like, you can make, like, you can, almost like you can, uh, if you want something, you can move in that direction too. Like, you don't always have to be, like, thinking of other people and, like, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think, yeah, I think in a lot of ways she's telling Anakin, like, you can live your own life too. You don't always have to be like trying to like provide service for other people in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's uh, uh, it was, it was, it was so great. And, and, and something about that is I think it originated from the revenge of the Sith novelization. That's what I was reading about. Mm. And uh, uh, Mike Shen, who's the author of this novel um, is uh, such a huge fan of the novelization for Revenge of the Sith that that he made quite a few little links between this book and and that and uh, I believe the Sun Dragon is, is one of them. So um, Dexter Jetster played an interesting part in this book as a uh, as a contact of Obi Wan's, which helped out in the story. Yeah, I mean, I thought that was kind of cool because you know we never saw Dexter again unless you read the old uh, EU Legends books, the uh, the Scholastic Fate of the Jedi or the no the Last of the Jedi, uh, where Obi Wan is trying to survive after the Purge, and uh, he shows up in that, I believe. But um, he, it's kind of cool to see that Obi Wan falls back on him again, you know, in a time of need, and it just felt very consistent. Yeah, yeah, and I felt like it made the interaction between them in Clone Wars make more sense. Trying to attack the clones make much more sense. Because to me, it was always weird that he, like this one time, he goes to this weird person in a diner, and you're led to believe they have some background, but that's kind of it, and it never really shows up ever again. Mm-hmm. So it, it really, they really kind of filled in the background where this is where Obi-Wan goes for information for anything that's in the, kind of like the, the underground network's right um he said something really interesting mm. about sorry and that's specifically because uh uh jexter dexter used to be an informant for people so he was kind of the the guy in the know in the underworld kind of era yeah yeah there's definitely an interesting story there which you know i would love to see uh come up and that you know i never actually got, i still need to finish this book but uh did 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 anyone does anyone here know if he popped up in master and apprentice the qui-gon obi-wan novel i don't think he did take yeah i don't a, know take that as an did audit. those come out after attack of the clones this one this one is a canon novel as well which came out like maybe two years ago and it was about anakin or sorry it was about a young obi-wan and qui-gon uh before phantom menace but uh, i i got oh, I my see. my brain was i was like oh did did dexter have a name drop in that book like i was trying to trying to rack my brain like trying to remember because i read half of it and then i dropped off for a while and then i, I got i got to go and reread reread it but um uh he said something really interesting was um that uh, she used to call you ben for some reason dex said with one of his hearty chuckles uh, he's referring to Satine. I thought it was really interesting that Satine what? is actually the first one that called him Ben. I always thought it was the Clone Wars episode where Obi-Wan goes undercover as Racco Hardeen, goes to the prison, you know, disguised as this bounty hunter kind of guy. And uh, it turns out that he used his codename Ben because that's just the nickname that Satine gave him. Um, but that was really oh. fascinating to me. I don't know about you guys, but I was like, oh, that, that, that was cool. Yeah, that that kind of went past me. I, did, I didn't know that that happened in the book. Yeah. 
AJ, you're, you're stewing over there. What, what are you thinking about? <laughs> oh, just um, about how Dexter has popped up in um, Queen's Shadow and Queen's Hope. Um, oh, Academy yeah, you, re- you read the, all those books. Yeah, that's right. Yes. So I was just I was just trying to think of where he got name dropped in there. Oh, interesting. Okay. All right. Uh, well, that's that's good to know. I, I haven't read those books personally, so... Um, but that's not the only connection that uh, they made between this book and the Queen's trilogy. Um, would you care no. to enlighten us all on, uh, on? well, first of all, um, there was a subtle reference to the mission that Sabe took to Tatooine in a quest to free the enslaved that were there. And I thought that was like a subtle Queen's trilogy reference as well. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, there was also a, uh, a mention to a character called Sister. Would you like to enlighten us on Sister? Yeah, Sister's a transgender uh, clone trooper who first popped up in, um, I think it's the first book of uh, the Padme series. I'm blanking on the name. Um, but anyways, she um, popped up and it was kind of, it was interesting to see how they have how Disney has tried to um, show a different character um, in the fact of like a transgender character because they're more, um, there's a lot more people that are um, transgender out there. Um, so this way they have a character that they can actually uh, relate to. Um, so I thought it was really, really cool that they just kind of gave a nod to them. Um, but now that she's come up twice, I'm kind of hoping that they aren't going to turn sister into kind of the token transgender uh, clone. That's okay, it's just the one character, right? Yeah. 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 There's a lot of people just like having their token token person out there um, and just uh, always just bring it up saying, oh, we haven't forgotten about you. But we kind of have because we don't expand on anything. Um, so now I really think if they want to continue with that, this, that they should, um, kind of have more of like a deeper understanding of who sister is and how she kind of became to be and like, what's her backstory? What does she do? Where does she fit in this? Um, Mm -hmm. I must say it was pretty, uh, just out of the left field, just like this character showed up. I was quite confused, but. Um, but yeah, it wasn't until you mentioned that she had originated in the uh, the Queen's books that that then I was like, oh, okay. Um, what was her role in the in the Queen's books? Was um, she just mentioned, or? Yeah, she was pretty much just mentioned in the uh, Queen's book. They didn't really mm-hmm. get into much background of her. Just kind of mentioned, oh, here's a clone trooper that's helping out, and she's transgender and. That was pretty much it. Yeah. It wasn't really right. much honor. Yeah, I definitely have to agree. Like they had, like they should do something with the character now, right? Yeah. Otherwise, it's gonna feel like a pretty hollow gesture. Yeah. Yeah. Just like with it's interesting uh, though. Yeah. Sabe and her uh, mission to free the sa- slaves. They yeah. Mentioned it now twice in two different books, um, but they don't actually do anything with it. Um, so now they've kind of set themselves up for, okay, we've hinted at this twice. Now, is there going to be a Sabi book that uh, comes out just to um, 
kind of explain her mission and how critical that is. Maybe there will be a Sabe book because, you know, she's popped up in a bunch of the uh, Marvel comics from, from my understanding and some of the Darth Vader comics, yeah. like the, the Queen's Double, right? So, uh, yeah, maybe maybe we'll see more of her. Um, there was a really fascinating story because she's the one that Kira Knightley plays in Phantom Menace. So there was, a, there was a really fascinating, like, comic where she's all aged up, but Padme's gone. And she's actually, like, one, part of this, like, little rebel cell that Vader has to fight and uh spares her life and stuff and it makes you just wonder like what he's thinking like what goes through his head uh you know seeing a doppelganger of of padme right um yeah. so yeah it, that's it, a good comic yeah it was the one such where a great comic yeah. it's like the loyalists right and they're guarding padme's tomb yeah yeah that's the one yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, such it's a really good, good one um yeah. there's a lot of politics in this in this book which uh which i actually really liked because um again oh, backstory sweet. context it's great um, there was a there was a really good reference in chapter six, and it said uh, the way that this war started is not just the violence; it's the bad faith and disinformation misrepresentation under the mask of independence, and that's what they yeah, used to describe cool. the separatist alliance. And I thought that was so good. Yeah, just yeah, amazing and, quote. Uh, maybe this is an exact quote you're getting at, but that this also reminded me that throughout the novel, something would happen, and then when it finally hits the, the hollow net, like it's all obscured or reversed to like push an agenda. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, Cause that's all politics too. Right. Like, right. It's pretty, I thought it was a very, I guess it, it's very fitting to Palpatine to be that scheme, even like on that level. Yeah. So like every, if you're not there, you don't get the truth. Like it's been filtered in a very yeah. specific manner. It's mm -hmm. super real, right? Like it's, it's such a, like a, like a, I don't know, like a realist take on an actual like war that could happen and does happen in, like on earth, you know, where you know, you never do know. And I don't think the book even answers who started it. Right. Like, right. No, it, you it, just it, left it gives, to think it's the third party. That's it. Cause it, there was, yeah. Uh, there's proof very strong hints either way. Yeah. 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 I, I love that because, you know, part of me thinks it's kind of even more interesting if, if the Republic did do it, right? Yeah. And there's a high chance they did do it in a way, you know. Same in the separate. commandos. Yeah. So. Did you guys catch yeah. the, the the reference to the uh, uh, 2D Clone Wars, the micro series? There was a few dropped in Yes. There. Yeah. 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 Uh, there's, I, I only caught one. Maybe if there's just one, but it's when Anakin's talking about how good of a fighter Mace Windu was. And yeah. he mentions yeah, that. He yeah, was like I noticed that. Killing tens of thousands of yeah. super battle droids on uh, Dantooine. Right? Yeah. So I was like, oh. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, dude, that's from the, like, the old animated series. It is. Yeah, yeah. it was. That's awesome. The Gendy cartoon. There man. was another one because that's the volume one, I think it is. Um, the classic oh, and, volume and one. Grievous, right? Yes. Yeah, there was one. He was that, wounded. Yeah. Yeah, there Grievous. was one to Grievous yeah. as well. Uh, Kiati Mundi oh, tended yeah. his fingers and leaned forward, scars healing across his cheek from his recent encounter with General Grievous. Super uh, cool. Yeah. Oh, see, I remember the, I remember that part of the book, but I didn't realize that was a reference. Yeah, it was a reference to his 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 fight. You know, because I think in the two D uh, series he does get like a scratch kind of across the yeah. Across I the think cheek, that's you know. the fight with uh, the. What's that guy's name? Shaggy. Shaggy, yeah, the yeah. Shaggy Jedi. <laughs> Scooby-Doo and Shaggy. Thank you. That's exactly the name I was looking for. The one that oh, gets pancaked into the ground. 
<laughs> Let's get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> Master Moon, do you, we gotta go. <laughs> Just get stepped on. Yeah, yeah. Just want some snacks, Scoob? <laughs> <laughs> you want some chewy snacks? Um, well, that's it then. Yes. I guess it's canon. Yeah, yeah. The, I, I, I. I'll mention the politics again. Like it made it feel like we got to know the Clone Wars a, a bit more than how it's usually portrayed with it, which is just like, it's always about Jedi leading troops into battle and like yeah. fighting droids. Right. This was such a cool, like investigation there. We had, um, we had a lot more like Jedi going to deliver like supplies and medical stuff to planets that had, you know, been part of a, like a, like a recent battle. And it's more like kind of helping them, deal with 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 like that kind of level of destruction mm -hmm. yeah I, I love all the, the 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 politics kind of behind it and and mm -hmm. all the the sentiment obi-wan you know everyone is kind of questioning it's like man feels kind of weird that we're being integrated into the military right like there's yes. a lot of that yeah so yeah. so yeah. one thing to add on top of that is uh in in chapter seven though there was a little moment where um uh, Mace says that the Chancellor had put in a request to prepare Padawans for the field. And Obi-Wan is yeah. like, Padawans for the military? And um, yeah, yeah and, and unaware that Palpatine asked for, for such a thing. Um, and and I, I thought that was so uh, such a great kind of also a reference to uh, why Ahsoka is so young and naive and thrown into the chaos of Christophsis uh, at the start of the Clone Wars as well. But um, just a very great reason as to why so many of these uh, unprepared Jedi are now stepping into the position that they are. There was also a Clone Wars episode with Kit Fisto's very aggressively naive Padawan who becomes a knight, and he's like wet, ready to prove himself against Grievous, and then Grievous just kills him. Yeah, and, that's who I was yeah. thinking of too, who's the yeah. Calamari Jedi. I was like, yeah, there's a lot of Jedi that just get promoted purely for the sake of of the military, for the yeah, politics for the position, that have shoved yeah. them into that position. And uh, yeah, it was it was just like such a great reference to that because um, you know that's that's kind of what the war is built on is uh, Palpatine kind of uh, fishing these Jedi and as as um, the best people to lead the clones with all their wisdom and knowledge and you know he kind of paints the picture in this this dece deceivingly likable way that kind of goes like oh yeah like every every senator in the Republic is like yeah they are the best guys to to lead the army because they know what they're doing. You know, like they they handled the situation on Geonosis really well. Uh, you know, they they um, they've got the the diplomatic side of them that they can, you know, lead the troops and kind of uh, give. I don't know, like it just brings a lot more to the battlefield, I guess, right? And and uh, the Jedi. Are it like, makes sense what? on paper. If, <laughs> yeah. But as we know, that also just causes the Jedi themselves to be some, become somewhat corrupt and. You know, intertwined in the war. Well, they, yeah, he makes them choose yeah. a side, right? Yeah, like, and after a thousand, they're, they're, they're not. He stops them from being um, servants of the galaxy, and he makes them servants of the republic. Which yes, is like very, yes, exactly. Like, right. Yeah. 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 Which, exactly. Which no longer means they're really like in the middle, neutral anymore. Yeah, they're not. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, uh, after a thousand years of peace in in the republic, they've kind of been slowly ingrained into into the system right and uh it's it's become part they've become part of the system almost almost so intensely that um 
that the, the head of the Jedi Order and the Chancellor kind of work in uh, cohesion. And uh, we've seen this before in, in the High Republic books. Uh, they, they do work as a team uh, at that point as well. Um, and uh, it's almost those events in the High Republic that even like bring it closer together because while the galaxy is expanding at that time, and the Republic is trying to expand to the outer regions. The the Chancellor needs the Jedi to be those diplomatic people, right? So I think that's where the relationship starts to grow. And what we're going to see in the High Republic is like that that kind of merge point where we finally get to Phantom Menace, and it's like, oh yeah, they're they're now like, you know, side by side kind of thing. It's, it just sets up the playing field so well for Palpatine when he swoops in and snags the 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 the, uh, the chair, right? <laughs> it's like it's everything's ready to go. All we need to do is start a war and get these guys in the front um, and then, uh, you know, have everyone shoot from behind kind of thing. Um, Ventress has introduced this book. Really great uh, introduction because uh, in canon, we've never actually seen how that happens. She's just kind of thrown into the show and it's like, right. oh, what came before? Because the show is like months later after the Battle of Geonosis and there's like a huge gap there. So this this book really should have started with this, but, the, but this book's like uh, slots in that gap like really nicely. Um, and there could even be like a second and third to this, to this, like as a sequel to this book. And I would love to read a second and third book mm -hmm. to Brotherhood, uh, but it would also like bridge that gap really well uh, if they ever decided to do that. So uh, did you guys have any, th any thoughts on, on Ventress and, and her introduction? So different than the Gandhi cartoon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Because yeah, in that, uh, I think Josh, you and I were talking about it, and it's really just she's trained by Dooku, and then Palpatine asked her to go assassinate Anakin, and that's basically it. That's, yeah, she's a very she's a very no pun intended two dimensional character, and uh, you know, yeah. like really just shows up to to just kill Anakin, and it's like okay, well she tried, failed, and all right, on to the next villain. Then Grievous comes in, right? And She's just like a no one that just shows up and is like fighting all these weird monsters in an arena. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. She's like, yeah, um, it's just kind of like a wannabe Jedi. Like there's no backstory or anything. And and in the mm -hmm. EU, it was kind of fleshed out a little bit. But um, but in the canon, in the Clone Wars, they, they did fill in a backstory. Like, uh, you know, the fact that she lost her Jedi Master uh, stranded on a planet and then she fell into the clutches of Dooku and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, they gave her a really great ending and Dark Disciple is one of the best Star Wars books I've ever read. Um, but we still never found that introduction moment. And I've always wondered, like, what does that look like? Like, when does Anakin get his scar and all these things? And, and maybe there will be a sequel to this book where that story is told because, uh, you know, spoilers like that doesn't actually happen in, in this book. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, it's I thought that was at great. some point, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it was really great. Her introduction was subtle but really effective. Yes. Right. Like, like you, you definitely, even when she wasn't, you know, part of the story, you could almost feel her presence, like throughout the book. Like, like you know, even even when it's talking about like other people going on, you can almost envision her like sneaking through the shadows. She's like doing all her own stuff, like subverting Obi Wan in in like a lot of ways, even even if she isn't like directly called out which is, I think, a very venturous move, especially in that kind of position where she's just subverting the Jedi. Yeah, mm -hmm. I feel like that fits yeah, her character it, really well. And I think this is the first time, maybe Josh, you can correct me, but this is the first time we've really followed a story with her that where she was still working with Dooku. 
the separatists where she wasn't just a warrior right she was yeah. kind of a a politician in this like she was more yeah she played more of the diplomatic side until she kind of revealed her herself to the jedi but um yeah i mean uh it, it is one of the few times that that's happened because in the show which is more action based um you know we always saw her swinging a lightsaber pretty much at any every point right so um, mm -hmm. Yeah, this was a very uh, unique perspective to uh, be introduced to the character and certainly nothing like the 2D micro series. So um, <clears throat> um, uh, there was a, a hologram appearance by uh, Duchess Satine Cries of Mandalore. And uh, on the appearance, she proclaims Mandalore's neutrality, which is a huge plot point in this whole book of planets, whether or not they should be neutral in this war whether or not is it effective to prevent the war from spreading. And, um, and obviously Satine being such a big part of Obi-Wan's life, he, he remembers his time with her uh, here and there throughout, throughout the book. Um, what did you guys think of uh, Satine and her references? Was there any that popped out to any of you? I thought I it, wish was, I it was, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, I say I enjoyed that it really like from Obi-Wan's perspective while you're in his head it really helped him connect with uh, his take on Anakin and as he's kind of unraveling what's happening with Padme with Padme sorry right where he's maybe maybe that's why he's a little too lenient about the whole thing because he knows that he went through this himself yeah I yeah. wish I knew a little bit more about like their like does it explain how they met and like how that started um yeah i think i forget if it was in this book or if it was in in the clone wars show but um basically obi-wan had been assigned to protect satine uh while him and qui-gon were on a mission at one point very, very much like anakin and padme yeah, same, you know? same thing uh, yeah and they kind of fell in love with each other and 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 we know that obi-wan would have left the jedi order if uh she had said the word and uh, they decided to do their stick to their duties and kind of just keep apart kind of thing. Um, and, and now we're at a bit of a, a bit of a crossroads where um, him playing the diplomat in, in this situation has, has put him in a very difficult position because um, he's not only there to initially, he doesn't show up there to, um, to, uh, uh, so he, he he's there to investigate, but he's also kind of there to represent the Republic and kind of poke them to say, Hey, we're, we're worth siding with kind of thing. Right. Like, like we know that you're uh, it slowly, slowly, he, he kind of like understands the relationship between the trade Federation and Nemoidia a lot better. And as to us as readers as well, but um, it, it was, uh, it was a really interesting uh, getting into his head about, um, where he stood on on Satine's grounds of of neutrality and how he disagreed with it, uh, mm -hmm. even though he's kind of a Jedi and <laughs> is supposed to be kind of the neutral guy in in a lot of uh, respects, you know, in a lot of these these situations, right? So, um, uh, there was a there was a really cool bit with uh, with Anakin. Subtle mentioned a Kitster. Uh, Hashtag where's Kitster? I mean, now we found him in the pages of this book. Um, <laughs> there's a there's a little moment where he's uh, remembering all these people, and uh, what I thought was really cool about that is uh, there was there was a 
I noted down that he he mentions that he went for like walks and had breakfasts and stuff with uh, Palpatine. And he's kind of like remembering all these people of his life and stuff like that. But uh, what a way to deepen the relationship between him and Palpatine, just like having breakfast with him and stuff going like for that. brunch. Yeah. yeah, going for brunches. It's like, this Panicking. is... Uh, this you is like a... to join me for eggs and toast. Anakin. <laughs> <laughs> like, he's, he's like force lightning the bacon. <laughs> yeah, like cooking the bacon. Anakin's not picking wow, up on it. Okay. What a useful Anakin's power. Like, oh, wow, you cooked that so fast. How did you do that? <laughs> um yeah no cool cool little little nods there uh deepening his relationships with with all these people that we've come to know through through the films um the initial meeting between kenobi and ventress was really civil because because like she is playing a duplicate uh diplomat and stuff like that you know super civil uh, really uh, well well kept um, and uh, kind of added a little bit to the mutual respect that they have later because she is still the same person who saves him from Maul and his brother, you know, getting like killed on their ship, right? So, um, you know, there's definitely this like this kind of uh, uh, a genuine respect between the two of them and, and how they meet, I think, plays a lot into that relationship. Um, so it was really, it was really a, a big thing for this book to kind of play off of that. That was another one of those scenes that had really good mannerisms and like the descriptions of, of yes. how they were talking to each other and their, and their like facial expressions was, was really on point. Right. Yeah. I noticed that too. Where like, as opposed to most novels, like it, it was really specific of the mannerisms, like how it was worded. Yeah. Yeah. You could not notice it because like, oh, it's just so uh, out of the ordinary for novels. Right. I, I think I think a couple times he mentions how Palpatine would say something and it's almost like like he didn't have a smile and like a smirk on his face. But like he, he like he described it as like he was internally like like smirking or grinning, you know, when he, mm. when he the way he would talk. It was like a, he yeah. notices like a quick smirk that vanishes quickly. Yeah, 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 stuff like that was really good. Yeah, really good. Okay, I'd hate to I hate to um bring it back, but I'm going to post a picture in the guest chat of the Discord. Okay. Because I was looking up Kitster um on on Wikipedia <laughs> and I found a thing that he is on he is in Star Wars Galaxies and I did not know. What? He's in picture, Star Wars Galaxies? The picture blew me away. Can you guys describe um how Kitster has aged. <laughs> I want to say he looks a bit like, uh, I, oh my goodness. What? There's no way you that's it. You got to describe the early, people. Is that Kitster joined a early 2000s punk band? <laughs> <laughs> he decides to have the the same outfit as uh, Marty McFly, N Nelson, Nelson from The Simpsons. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Anyways, this kind of shocked me. You'll have to look it up yourself if you're listening from home. Just, yeah. he, it's right on the legends in Wikipedia. He pretty much looks like a. He, he has a blue-purple tinge to his skin. Maybe he's got into some some death sticks some or spice. something. He, he, the years have not been kind to him. So good. <laughs> um, High chance he's still in Tatooine, I'll say that. Yeah. 
Uh, bring bring um, it bring it back up. Thank yeah. you, thank you for that, Bryce. I, uh, no worries, no worries. Like, I I would have died if I couldn't share that. <laughs> oh man, um, going back to to Palpatine, there was there was this really really important like moment where uh, he's just at the right place at the right time. This guy, I mean, uh, whenever Anakin needs uh, whenever Anakin needs a shoulder to lean on, uh, he's just. He's just there, you know, at the, yeah. just just like sneakily S- kind of slithering in. Yeah, slithering into the right moment, right? And and uh, um, finally, Anakin is free of his master's watchful eye, right? Like because he's no longer Obi Wan's apprentice anymore, um, and uh, he's he's got he's got more time to freely kind of groom the boy, as he as he likes to do, as Maul describes it, right? And uh, and now that he's his own Jedi Knight and stuff like that, you know, he can freely kind of grab Anakin whenever he wants and, and uh, no one needs to know kind of thing. So uh, he says, uh, uh, has anything troubled you lately? We haven't had a, a, a time to discuss the happenings on Geonosis. Uh, and he takes a sip from his tea and, and he says, how fast life changes these days. Uh, and uh, they get into his time on Tatooine and uh, even before Anakin can tell Obi-Wan all this stuff, um, he discloses to, cha- to the Chancellor how um, the Tuscans took his mother and how mm-hmm. they took her life, so he took theirs. And it was just uh, it was just a really great reference to Revenge of the Sith when Palpatine says, Remember what you told me of your mother and the sand people? And... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I love that subtle like. I can know. <laughs> I just thought it was such no. a great call, like just a great Easter egg to to that moment in the movie. Um, and uh, he's a passionate, loving, caring person who's driven by hate. Um, you know uh, that he can't. He's been told that he can't feel right, but but he feels it anyways because he knows and loves his mother, and it was taken from him and. Um, and, uh, you know, drives him to do the thing he does. And it's a really good moment because Palpatine, Palpatine, he like reinforces that Anakin kind of did a good thing in that moment. He was, he was just like, he's like, oh, and yeah, you punish them as they, as they should have been. Right. Yes. Only, yes. Ex- you know, it's only, it's, totally he's like, natural. it's only nature. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, cause the, cool. cause the Jedi distanced themselves from their feelings. So, so it's not like you'd get Obi-Wan or, or Mace Windu or Yoda coming up to you and say like, mm, how are you? Like, you know, like it, it yes. wouldn't happen. Right. And Anakin is a, is a very heartful person. Like he needs someone to ask him how he's doing. So Padme and Palpatine are the escape for him. Right. And that's part of the reason yeah. I think why, you know, I need him, you know, when Mace Windu is about to kill the guy, you know, it's, it's so much easier to believe that he, he's not just saving the guy's life because he has this ability that he claims to save Padme, right? He's saving him because that's his friend. And it's actually one of the few people in the galaxy that he's ever con- been able to confide in and, and trust and, um, he says that to Obi-Wan when he's asked to spy on the Chancellor, and, and this is what really pushes him away from the Order. And this book did such a great job at positioning them up together in, in, as uh, friends, right? As, as like, genuine yeah, yeah, friends. Yeah, and it feels like that, right? Like, mm-hmm. like usually, like, Palpatine is, don't get me wrong, he's just the king of gaslighting, Anakin. He yeah. knows oh, yeah. everything that's going on. He's almost every sentence is just to get Anakin to feel a certain way or to get him. Like, like he doesn't actually need to ask any of these questions. He's just stringing him along, right? Mm-hmm. But 
you know, when he does when answer Anakin in that like scenario, he feels just like a regular old guy. He's like, yeah, it makes sense to me. Like, right. Yeah. No, exactly. Yeah, it, it, right. And I think Anakin, like it makes, like I would trust him too. If I was like feeling that emotional and being like, Oh, nice. This guy's mm -hmm. not judging me at all. Like, Oh, my oh God, yeah. Talk to this yeah. guy again. Absolutely. It just feels like wise words from someone. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, it, it was, it was interesting because, because it even says like in his head, he, he, um, he knew that the chancellor would, would almost validate his decision to kill the Tuscans. You know, just in the way that he responds and everything, it's actually noted in the book that 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 uh, Anakin knows that Palpatine understands him in a way that the Jedi can't, and that's why he goes to him, right? And that's that's why he keeps going back to him. So, uh, yeah, very uh, very great way to um, position Palpatine in this book. Um, did any anything stick out to you guys with Palpatine uh, other than that moment? I really liked his speech to the Republic and how he uses the events of the book to justify bringing the Jedi into the military it almost mm, kind of backfires yeah. kind of what Obi-Wan was kind of aiming to do. Like, like he's just like, oh, I kind of want to like deescalate and, but in, 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 yeah, try to end in, the, war in the whole time in showing how effective uh, him and Anakin were on, on Catanomoidia, it kind of justified Palpatine to make that big speech. And it was really good of how he's going to bring the, Jedi into the military was like the cheers of all the people mm -hmm. after he's like showing footage of like Anakin just like killing, yeah, like destroying yeah. battle droids, right? And everyone's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anakin painted as the war hero, right? And Anakin likes yes. it because yeah. Anakin's got quite the ego, yeah. as what we've come to realize from the show, right? From the Clone Wars, and mm -hmm. and uh, you know, here here it is with Palpatine like feeding that, right? Um, um, and and he also said really really interestingly he uses Shmi's words kind of to to feed him right he says uh, you care Anakin you have an immense heart don't let the Jedi take it uh, uh, from you uh, your heart makes you a better person it makes you a stronger person so he's like feeding all these things that the Jedi would never say to him um, in order to kind of pull him away from that right and uh, he also says like as the younglings grow into padawans they must feel comfortable around clones and i was like oh my goodness like this guy right just like trying to set up everything trying yeah. to set up like maybe, Order 66. maybe this is a good a good time to mention just the the horrible babysitting that Anakin has to do with the younglings <laughs> and how the entire time you know you're thinking the whole part of the book right like oh yeah uh, show us your lightsaber moves Anakin yeah, oh man do a flip oh, so cool what's funny is that was every like six to eight year old's uh, opinion of watching the prequel <laughs> movies the same thing all oh, the lightsabers yeah. it is like it painted the younglings as just just like any Star Wars fan would would like yeah. behave around a real Jedi or whatever, right? It's kind of funny. They they make them all like fanboys and girls instead of instead of just like young little Jedi. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Whereas in like Attack of the They're Clones, is totally not the idea that I had. You know, when Obi Wan yeah. walks into the room with Yoda, like talking to the younglings, like yeah, hello, Master Obi Wan man. Kenobi. Yeah. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they should redo it. In the, in the style of this, where he walks in and some kid just goes, you're old! Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay? Yeah. I have some questions, Master Yoda. Yeah. <laughs> Show us a flip! Kids are just oh. screaming and running around. You just can't control them. All of, like, yeah. the training lightsabers. Mm -hmm. uh, 
in uh, at one point in the book, Obi Wan starts to realize why him and Anakin need each other, and why uh, he while he sits imprisoned on on Cato Nemoidia, because uh, at some point in the story he gets captured, and uh, I, I just thought it was such a great uh, little moment because um, uh, it, it's moments like this that really define why the book is titled Brotherhood, um, because in Attack of the Clones, the relationship between them is like father and son. And, uh, you know, you start watching the Clone Wars, it's like, oh, these guys are, like, behaving as they would in Revenge of the Sith. But where did that relationship come from? You know, where, like, where did this uh, close friendship bond of a brotherhood, you know, come from, right? And Right. And, and, that, and that's so disjointed from Attack of the Clones, where it just feels like uh, Obi-Wan is constantly scolding Anakin like a bad child. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean... Uh, um, AJ, you haven't said anything for a while, but like, like, what, what did you think about all the all the little subtle moments that they slowly bridged these characters together in a new way? Yeah, it really humanized them, um, as to not just be like, like I've said, the um, kind of like a hero and like up on a podium, but like they're just like a regular person. They have their own struggles, but they've also got that innate. Um, knowledge of the other person and what they would do so they're really a great balance to each other anakin with his aggressiveness let's go out swing the lightsaber win the day obi-wan okay let's maybe stop think about this plan um and then try and do it like negotiate or that kind of thing and then just how great they are together where mm -hmm. they're both doing stuff but able to still be aggressive and kind of negotiate but not like as far as they would have gone themselves um it was just really nice to kind of see the balance between the two mm -hmm. yeah yeah um there was uh like go ahead bryce yeah yeah i was gonna finish um i like the there's a part where yeah, there's a lot of parts where like Obi Wan has to restrain himself, right? Because he's realizing that Anakin's no longer his his charge. Especially like there's a part where you know he runs into Anakin. Anakin's like watching pod racing, like like eating <laughs> yeah, soup that... and like watching pod yeah. racing, right? And Anakin like sw quickly like switches it off. Yeah, he like hacked the, the uh, like, hack yeah. the the hollow okay, TV or whatever yeah. to to play the sports yeah. channel. <laughs> and Obi Wan's just like man, like. It's fine. Like, go ahead. Like, you're yeah, not, like, you know. Oh, Anakin, how, much, how many hours during your study time have you been watching the pod races? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And also, um, the other part where, you know, Anakin has influence over Obi-Wan. And, and the way, and like, like in, in, you think that like, as the older person, he's kind of only passing on like traits to Anakin, but Anakin also influences Obi-Wan in a way where even though Obi-Wan's so straight and narrow, Anakin convinces him, you know, to take that like hacked comm link, you know, Obi-Wan's just like, I don't know about this, but it does sound pretty useful. You know? like, uh, <laughs> yeah. Right? Like, like, come on, man. Of course yeah. it gets in trouble. Of course yeah. it does. Right. I mean, I, I think that's like a really, like that scene is a really good kind of playful moment between them where, where, I can kind of see like, like the rowdy younger brother kind of convincing. Yeah, yeah, and he's so convincing about to... it too. He's like, "Well, technically, I'm not on the council, and I'm going to be off world." So, I mean, yeah, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, he's like, "I'm following all the rules." Like, yeah, yeah, 
it's so good. Those are the two the two scenes that stand out to me. I don't know if you guys can think of any anymore. I'm sure there's lots. Those are some pretty good ones. I mean, I remember a few times where Obi-Wan throughout the book kind of thinks, oh, what would Anakin do? And and yeah. that's that's also kind of a big part of how they kind of grow into this really uh, um, great dynamic. Because in Attack of the Clones, like you get the sense that they don't really belong together. Like they're um, they're kind of yeah, rough. Yeah, they butt heads right? a lot. Yeah, there there's no synergy going on like there was with Qui Gon and Obi Wan. Um, whereas uh, the Master and Apprentice book that we had um, kind of actually painted an opposite picture of that where. I remember Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon weren't actually getting along for, for some time, um, much like Anakin and Obi-Wan did in, in Attack of the Clones. And now this book is kind of bridging that gap, you know, like we mentioned before. Um, so, yeah, very cool to see all these little moments that, that kind of make that happen. Um, th- there, was a, there was a really interesting part here, which I kind of referenced uh, the lines, just George's script in, in, in you know, because Attack of the Clones gets so much flack oh, for, for the script right so there's a I, I, know what this is. I just had to read this all right so um it seemed a lifetime ago though it had been far more yeah. recent and while he now cringed at some of the things he'd said during those uh, idyllic yeah. moments the way words had tumbled out of his mouth without proper social graces or any sensible filter he wouldn't trade any of it and that's in reference to uh, <laughs> anakin's lines uh what he says to padme yeah, and stuff yeah. on naboo and all that yeah i thought that was just a great little a uh, little addition because um, there's, there's another there's another one that's similar to that there's another throwback to attack of the clones yeah there is yeah there, there's there's or a whole he's, bunch he, he's referring to his uh, robotic arm his hand and like he's complaining because sand just keeps getting in it and he's just <laughs> yeah. getting sand everywhere he's like oh. right that's right that's so like good. Into his gloves. that's a great um <laughs> that's a great reference though as well because uh attack of the clones is the only time we see him without a glove on his hand and yeah. then at thereafter he wears a glove all the time over the over the arm so he's almost embarrassed of it it's it's well it's um i mean it's kind of a part of him and and pat it, the, the, the book makes a reference to um padme not caring at all about it right like because no, but he's self-conscious about her thinking yeah. about it right he is yeah and and the sand thing though got to me a lot because it came up i think uh, once or twice like you mentioned and and i was like mm-hmm. oh maybe he actually wears a glove because it would get around that issue right like there's braces on the the glove to kind of keep it locked in place so uh, i would imagine maybe that's why he ends up putting one on right um yeah. but yeah great uh, great point to bring up there and another thing i loved about the robotic hand with uh anakin is at the beginning he's like always tweaking with it fiddling with it because it's like this isn't right this doesn't feel right mm-hmm. so he hasn't fully accepted that the robotic hand is a part of him but mm-hmm. then closer at the end of the uh, book he's now using his hand properly like yeah just smoothly and like He's like, okay, now I've, I finally have accepted that this has happened and that this is now a part of me. So it's yeah. like using the glove, the sand, and like how it gets in all the joints and all that kind of really um, shown us how Anakin has grown even throughout this couple of weeks or whatever that this mission has taken place in um, and have come to finally accept the uh, robotic hand. Yeah, absolutely. I- I wonder if that's something that, um, like real life, people with amputees kind of have to go through too. 
I would think so. Yeah. I can only kind of speculate, but mm-hmm. it seems See, to me I like I could totally see that being yeah. the case, though. Right. Mm-hmm. On top of that, though, there's also like because AJ, what you're, what you're referencing is also uh, it's connected to his to his lightsaber style because he's saying like his, the robotic hand is too slow, but it's also too strong. And it's neat towards the end where he decides to just use the robotic hand and just use raw power because that also. Uh, leads into what he does when he becomes Vader. Yeah, it also it also kind of changes things up with his lightsaber style being very different in in Revenge of the Sith compared to what it is in in Attack of the Clones. And I think in the EU there was some sort of uh, some sort of uh, kind of reference or story point somewhere where he changes his um, his focus on which form he studies as far as. Uh, um, you know how he how he fights right because uh, i think at one point he was as a padawan he was either leaning one direction or the other uh one of them being you know with the the two uh yeah, two lightsabers kimbo. yeah and then he ends up uh you know going towards uh what is it dejem so or something um afterwards which is just like kind of more on the aggressive end of of uh fighting stance um, yeah, but still single-handed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so yeah, that was definitely a great mention towards that uh, for sure. And I, I love how it had something to do with his robotic hand. Um, it really makes a lot of sense, right? Because because as as Vader gets all his robotic limbs, it becomes even more so based on his power yeah. and not so much of his speed. So, yeah, great great way to weave that in. Um, there was uh, there was some something here, but uh, oh, let me see. Oh, Mill Mill has a force ability. Uh, Mill is a, a Jedi youngling that shows him the, uh, in this book, um, who ends up uh, tagging along with Anakin on his mission to kind of uh, you know rescue Obi Wan from his situation in the Moidia, and uh, she's got a force ability to sense and visualize pain in other people, and it makes her an empathetic Jedi, and that was a very unique kind of thing that has never been done before. Um, but yes, what it, this was a new power. Yeah, what did you guys think of that? It's not every day we get a new force power popping up. That's true. I I really like the addition of Mill. She she was like a the yang to the yang of Anakin. Almost like a to me it was almost like a what if like what Anakin might have been. You know, like someone who cares so much that you know mm. she, she literally can't even yeah, think about violence it's almost like what right? he could be i guess if he wasn't uh yeah. a, a possessive love right yeah yeah and you know she cares so much that she you know decides that she doesn't want to be a jedi because it's like you know yeah. she realizes that that's not like how she's gonna help people it's a bit like ahsoka so it, too ahsoka decides yeah. that she can do more um you know along the lines of actually helping people rather than Mm-hmm. swinging a lightsaber around and fighting for the Jedi because, you know, she realized uh, when she talked to those two sisters in the underworld, like just how much they'd lost at the, uh, at the, uh, the casualty of the Jedi hunting down zero. And, and it was yeah. like, Oh shoot. Like there's, there's people out there, you know, like we're fighting a war, but there's actually I, like, we're fighting for these people and we have, haven't even turned an eye towards them this whole time. Yeah. And you're causing harm yeah. with, while trying to say, help them right yeah so. i thought she was such a good addition to the to the book like in my opinion she's like almost one of the most true forms of a jedi that you can get you mm-hmm. know you know like the fact that yeah yeah i thought this was awesome mm-hmm. i really liked her i hope she pops up again somewhere yeah me too absolutely she was also a female zabrak 
Yes. Which I don't know if we've had that. Has that been re- we have had that? Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, there was a bounty so, hunter. It always gets weird to me with the like the night sisters because it almost feels like Zabrak are the males and the night sisters are the females. So Zabriks weren't originally from Dathomir, right? So there's like a, okay. a section of Zabriks that that are kind of I guess they were captured, enslaved, and kind of self bred on Dathomir as slaves to the night sisters. Uh, you know society um mm-hmm. but uh yeah zabriks are actually uh native to a different world and i think that world was actually mentioned in this book and uh i'm i'm just blanking on the name for now but there Iridona. was a Iridona. yes thank you Iridona. yeah Iridonia. um there was a bounty hunter in clone wars that was a zabrik who who showed up a few times in clone wars and one of them was uh one of the ones in the seven samurai episode where anakin and obi-wan and ahsoka have to defend that village with the farmers uh, she was the one with the ship that gets them out of there. And uh, she was one of the people that helps them out. So, um, oh, okay. yeah, yeah. Zabriks are, are, are just like a species like any other. Yeah, they're not exclusively male. Yeah. Otherwise, they wouldn't be able to um, East Class yeah. reproduce. Is a, it's a Zabrik. <laughs> yeah. It's on yeah. the council, right? Yeah, that's right. He's also a Zabrik. Yeah. So the ones on Dathomir yeah. are like yellow and red and orange. And then the ones that come from Iridonia are still like these, like more kind like of brown beige skin yeah. tones. Yeah. More fleshy tones. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you mentioned something while we were reading the book, uh, something about Nemoidians and um, Cad Bane species. Oh, yeah. So oh. I didn't realize that Nemoidians and Duros shared a common ancestor. Yeah. So the they're an offshoot. Books- yeah, they look so they look really similar, which I I'd never really noticed before. <laughs> yeah, so it's a bit like that. It's a bit like that. Where 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 um where the Zabriks are are kind of there's like an offshoot of them, which is the Dathomirian Zabriks. So, um, there was a really great description of how the dark side is in this book, and I don't know if you guys got chills when you when you listened or read this, but I thought it was really great. Uh, the normal sense of flow that came with connecting to the force felt uh, dissonant here, interrupted, chaotic, blocked, an unexpected fight required to get through the thick cloak draped over it, the dark side. Uh, It's such great imagery because, uh, you know, the veil of the dark side prevents those from the light from seeing, right? Uh, And that's something that was like a reference to Phantom Menace. And then, um, you know, much like like the apple of Eden would reveal knowledge, um, would come with a cost, right? And um, Yoda describes the dark side of how it can like take one, um, take hold of one's destiny and just like dominate them, right? Um, and uh, there was a moment where Obi Wan kind of considers like what it, what would it be like if if he had turned to the dark side and like would that veil be lifted? Uh, and so much like how Dooku discovers the ugly truth of the Senate, um, discovering you know, dipping into the dark side, discovering uh, the truth behind that. Uh, it consumes him, right? And his lust for greater power also feeds into that. So it was it was really great, um, really great imagery, like with all of this stuff, like just like kind of painting a picture as to like what the dark side is um, in the realms of like the force users, right? And uh, I yeah, guess really how that veil works, you know. That makes me wonder if that's what happened to Pon Krell. I think so. I, I think so. Yeah. All out, right? Yeah, because he has a vision, right? And and it's that vision that that kind of allow enables him to 
push for, for greater understanding. And, and it's, it's that which kind of gets to him and, and almost creates a dark Jedi out of him. Right. Um, and, and I think, I think Dooku is no different to that. I think he's also just a, a victim of realizing that there is no escape from, from whatever this is that's, that's growing this shadow that's growing over the galaxy. And, mm-hmm. you know, in his own twisted way, he thinks, cause he even says to Obi-Wan, like he said, join me, we can destroy the Sith. Like he's offering Obi Wan yeah. to join him and kill Palpatine, right? But um, no, naturally, we're not left knowing if that's the truth or not, but knowing what we know about uh, about uh, Darth Tyrannus, like it's plossible, right? He, oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, and it's what he was like, kind of training it. Ventress I... for until Sidious said, "You got to get rid of her; she's getting too powerful." Yeah, <laughs> and he puts up a protest to that until he's like, "Okay, yes, 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 I will do what you're bidding," and then he. Uh, yeah, it's interesting though. Like, it I would love so to good. know if that from his perspective, because I don't think we've ever seen from Count Dooku's perspective on that exact topic during mm-hmm. the war, if he, he had always planned to overthrow Palpatine and actually try to bring peace. Right. Well, he's At, a Sith, so it's always yeah. a possibility, right? Like, Yeah, it opened up a lot of... Even uh, if, you know, all Sith are going to want to kill their master at some point. Yeah. Whether or not he wants to do it for, for good or not, I bet you, in the same way that Darth Vader talks to Luke about killing Emperor Palpatine, right? Mm-hmm. I, I think Count Dooku probably talks to Obi-Wan in the same way, you know, thinking that maybe he'll even turn Obi-Wan to the dark side in the process or something like that. Yeah. And Anakin says that to Padme as well in episode three. Yeah, it's it's the understanding knowing that he's going to possibly lose someone that's close to him. And it's that heart of the sun dragon which allows him to fall victim to um that veil right you know he's 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 tempted over that line and and the knowledge of knowing that there is a chance that he can save his wife um he uh he goes on to that other side of of the dark side and you know and and uh um that's what twists him right and uh and that's how yoda describes it too you know twisted by the dark side young skywalker has become so uh, all of these little bits and pieces have really kind of uh, piled on top of each other to create this greater understanding of how the dark side works in, in Star Wars. And, um, and I, just, I just really loved how it was portrayed in that paragraph. Um, yeah, uh, there was... Um, did any of you guys have anything so far that you want to bring up that I haven't touched on so far? Uh, just, just the one thing being maybe the two uh, other kind of main characters... Uh, the uh, the two Nemoidian guard characters. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Rug, Rug and uh, a whiny guy. I forgot his name. <laughs> Tar Te Techen Techen or something. Yeah, Tehe or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know. What are you guys' thoughts were about them? I I like them a lot. Um, uh, you know, I thought they were pretty good characters. We've never really, aside from Newt Gunray, we've never had a protagonist nemoidian before you know it's one of those you really consider new gunray a, a protagonist uh oh well sorry antagonist sorry we've never had a we've never had a protagonist we've only had an antagonist is what i meant to say See, um, you separatist scum yeah. <laughs> separatist scum. um but yeah I, and no they, they were great characters um uh, I, I thought it, it was also it painted... cool yeah just seeing nemoidians that weren't yes part of the trade federation yeah yeah it's exactly like, i think the closest we got was on mustafar there's there's two royal guards yep, like nemoidian yep. guards that's right. it they're just in the background once i'm like that's it yeah so i thought that was super cool 
seeing that side of it and also just learning a lot more about their culture or whatever as a people because it's funny that uh, they took the fans perspective of the race which is their businessman and making it that's the republic's opinion of them and they consider that to be kind of racist <laughs> right yeah i i think i think it also like is a really great way to show that um this civil war that's happening is happening for a reason and is that like i think there maybe is a lot of discrimination and unfair treatment that's happening in the republic right you know i i think that that like resentment and uh like that unstable um kind of thing that's rotting in the republic was there it's always there right it was it was there for a long time it was just count dooku's the spark that kind of ignites it Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it does show that there is a huge problem in the, in the Republic and there's not just like Republic good, separatist bad, you know, I think it adds yeah, a lot like, of depth, a lot of depth to it. Corruption. There was, um, there was some really interesting stuff about Qui-Gon in this book, because, uh, as we know from Dave Filoni, Qui-Gon is, uh, you know, part of the reason why it's called dual fates, uh, because it's the fate of Anakin Skywalker. And um, there was a little bit which said uh, Obi-Wan and Anakin were forever bound by something without rules or obligations, something intangible yet powerful and fragile, the fate that Qui-Gon Jinn had in each of them. And finally, after so many years of self-doubt and petty gripes, Obi-Wan found himself starting to truly recognize Qui-Gon's faith in Anakin. And it's Anakin's faith in Mill that allows Obi-Wan to see that Qui-Gon had that same type of faith for Anakin and he believes that he's the key to saving the galaxy just as Anakin believes that Mill's ability and and who Mill is is able to be a a very key part in completing their mission um even though Obi-Wan doesn't doesn't see or understand that right away right um what did you guys think of that and how Qui-Gon's influence is kind of portrayed uh throughout the book Hmm. yeah that's an interesting one I I think Obi-Wan realizes that Anakin is kind of teaching Mill like Qui-Gon taught Obi-Wan, right? Yeah. Um, I, I don't know if it's like completely answering your question or not, but... Yeah, no, I just thought it was kind of an interesting one to pose because, you know, it comes up a few times, you know, Qui-Gon's name drop. And, and uh, you know, obviously, having just seen Obi-Wan Kenobi... You know he's he, he's Obi Wan's master, right? He plays he's played such an influence in the guy's life, and he's in fifty percent of the novel. Um, and finally, when Obi Wan comes to terms of like who he is in the in the show, um, he's finally able to see Qui Gon through the Force. And uh, I don't know. I just thought it was a really uh, important thing to mention that that it's it's something that Obi Wan finally understands, like why. Yeah. Qui-Gon believed Anakin to be the chosen one. And that's why Obi-Wan believes it so heartedly that when Anakin is lying on the burning rocks of Mustafar, that he like screams out at the top of his lungs as if he believed it too. And it's not his opinion, right? Like it's Qui-Gon's opinion. And you watch two movies later and it's like, when did Obi-Wan believe this? Like he was so half-heartedly, like he took Anakin on as, as a final death wish of Qui-Gon's, not because he wanted to. And uh, he considered it more of an oath. Yeah. Else. Yeah. And oh, Mace Windu obviously has no faith that Anakin is a uh, suitable to be a Jedi. And that's very apparent through the course of this book as well. But I just thought it was very cool that, that, uh, that Qui-Gon's influence and, and that his faith in Anakin is like very statedly kind of put is like, he is the chosen one. Right. 
And, uh, and this book makes a point of proving that to Obi-Wan saying like, well, if Anakin can have, can have faith in Mill, you know, maybe I can have faith in Anakin. Right. And that's also what strengthens their bond, you know, as, as brothers. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, I think Mill has a lot, a, lot of of, a lot of the traits of, of Qui-Gon too. Like, yeah, I noticed that as well. Yeah. Right. Mill is the one that kind of sees yeah. through Very whatever is happening and makes the decision to yeah. leave the order, just like Qui-Gon almost did. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, it seems like a lot of the, the more gifted Jedi at like, I don't know, like more independent thinking they, they kind of see through it. They kind of mm -hmm. see through the, through the dogma and just that yeah. the, uh, the, the Jedi orders become too political and is missing the mark from what they were originally intended to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, four words, Jedi military integration act. Uh, we saw an official label for what that is in this book, uh, which I'd never heard before. And it's a, a um, political bill that gets passed to officiate Jedi into the military, like as official generals, right? And this book was the one to do it. And I thought that was such a great key moment for why this book just made so much sense. You know, wh why the politics of this book were just so great because... Uh, um, it was able to tell that story and it's a story that hasn't been told yet. Like it's all just been assumptions so far. It's like, Oh, well, the Jedi did a good job on Geonosis. Maybe they should just keep doing it. Right. Um, but this is a system, right? Like this is a big working machine and, uh, you know, it's also not the sequels. So, you know, we're actually getting context for all this stuff. And, um, and I love how like the Jedi military integration act is that, that context It's like that, that, it's like, yeah, there was like an actual thing that we had to sit down and agree upon to make happen. And this is why all the rest of this stuff is able to happen as well, right? Um, and, you know, just really vote great. now, vote now, yeah. vote now. Vote now. I mean, you know, bring on the politics. You know, without politics, there's no war. <laughs> right? I do feel like I need a bit more, you know, like story behind how that actually happened. Because in the end, who has to sign off on that? Yoda. Mm -hmm. I, is someone that wise like I, I guess maybe Yoda doesn't have like you could say it doesn't, it's the council's decision right but yeah it seems really tough to me that all these Jedi are going to sign up for something called the Jedi Mil like military integration act like that has so much like awful like evil context to it that I, I'd be like okay I need even more information on how this would mm -hmm. happen unless like it seems like a lot Right. Yeah, like the only thing I can think of is maybe their thoughts are by helping the the war initiative, they can bring it to an end faster. That's exactly it. Yeah, he paints it in this light for sure. well, that for like, sure, yeah. looks good, right? Like that's Palpatine's whole thing. It makes it looks good, but but he's really got other intentions and, uh, um, you know, definitely uses the Jedi's like, oh, yeah, all their abilities, all their wisdom and knowledge and everything will bring a swift end to the war and bring peace for the galaxy right so of course people are going to be in favor of that right <laughs> so i mean yeah i just feel like in, in real politics they'd call it something different like like uh the clone <laughs> leadership training camp or something <laughs> like yeah. like make it sound a bit more uh, a bit more wholesome but like <laughs> yeah. the uh, new jedi deal yeah. yeah, it's just a label. It's just look, like um, it, it's not really like it, a, yeah. And then eventually, someone will look into it and be like, 
what the heck? They're sending these guys into the war? Oh my gosh! You know, and yeah, come exactly. out and be, yeah. I thought this was about environmental protection. Yeah. This is why all the bills we have are called like Bill C seven. It's like who knows yeah, what that means? Like, right, right. Yeah. There was actually a, a really yeah. cool part in this book where Obi Wan and Anakin kind of inspect their armor paddings that we know that was them. Such a good moment. yeah yeah. Yeah, I was just gonna bring that up. Just the the scene of them picking through all the armor pieces and like assembling what they're gonna look like for the beginning of the Clone Wars series. That was super cool. Yeah, that was really uh, well well written. Um, and uh, there's also a visual description of like how some Jedi have already adopted um, the chest, shoulder, forearm, you know, subtle changes to their tunics to accommodate the change, right? And the Integration Act of really like. Now they're generals, right? Like it's got to fit, got to fit in now, right? And not can't be run around dressed like monks. <laughs> so. yeah, you're in the military. You gotta chop that mullet off, you, you hippie. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I love they make fun of Obi Wan's hair. Yeah, yeah Obi Wan gets cleaned up, right? Yeah, I love how yeah. love how him and Padme have this kind of thing going with uh, Obi Wan's hair. Um, Bryce, did you have anything to yeah. say about Anakin and Padme's relationship? Oh man, I was I was like, uh, do I mention it? Like. I don't Did know. Maybe anyone we else can, feel like that we can was skip weird? over it. I don't know. <laughs> anyone else feel like oh, like, like what that like Padme they, they brings some down. blankets? Like, yeah. Like is that a thing let's, that let's Padme take a would do? To a hill. Is <laughs> got a back seat? Okay, I don't know what you guys think about Padme and Anakin's relationship, but in I, my I, view of their relationship, they're they're not they're not doing it. No, they're like very no. wholesome. They're, they're, like, they're wholesome. Yeah, they're, they're classy people. They like touch hands, then <laughs> they kiss maybe like once. Yeah. yeah, I don't want them like getting it on in the back of like a pickup. In <laughs> that's exactly that's exactly <laughs> it, right? Like, but, I mean, as yeah, soon as I like, read that chapter, I read that yeah, chapter. It's like the lower the, levels. Yeah, the, the course on underworld. You know, getting it on in the alleyway <laughs> somewhere. I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> so grungy. What like, a who's this night. for? Who I don't know. Like, I don't know. I mean, one thing I did like about it though was that it's like, yeah, I guess there are two Starcross lovers that are trying to find time to be with each other um, while also trying to keep it a secret. Like, it definitely told that story very well. Um, but I mean, yeah, I, I'm, I'm the PG elements. I'm, I'm really with you yeah. there in the sense that it's like, okay, like a subtle mention of like them going back to her place or something could have been enough for me. <laughs> yeah, and they they yeah. did that as well later. Yeah. But yeah, the first yeah. time around, the first time around was amazing. Yeah, really make sure lovers, you knew. Like, <laughs> that was like a ro- like Shakespeare romance, and then it like slowly turned into Eight Mile. Yeah. I was like, yeah. I was like, where did all this like like eight mile no 100 percent 100 percent eight mile all the way but i don't know maybe some people love that stuff uh, not not for me but final thing i want to mention that's on my list is a little subtle quote from obi-wan uh thank you commander cody i look forward to working with you more um and uh you know we had the introduction of commander cody in this book which is kind of cool uh in kind of the last few pages um yeah, what what did you guys have any any last kind of minute things to bring up before we before we wrap up today? Hmm. I just uh, you know, go ahead. Okay, I just found that um, like when in the Jedi Temple when Obi Wan is watching Anakin um, interact with uh, Padme, and then um, Gerald uh, Teppel come up and talks to 
Obi-Wan with a red-haired uh, youngling who trailed him. I just found that was kind of a neat um, callback to uh, Jedi Fallen Order. Oh, yeah, that's a great point. Oh, yeah. my gosh. Yeah. I didn't notice yeah. that either. So Cal Kestis, catch, Cal Kestis is yeah. making a small appearance. Yeah, that's a great catch. Yeah. Yeah. Really good catch. Man, you're holding that the whole... Uh... Yeah. That, that was a good one, man. <laughs> He's sitting here steering with a smile on his face like, no one's mentioned this so far. <laughs> yeah. What a slam dunk. Yeah. That, that, that is a good yeah, one. That's a great one. All right. It's been a while since I've smiled as much as I did. Like I remember I, I was working uh, and I was listening to that last scene where, you know, Rogue is trapped. She's surrounded by battle droids and it just like keeps mm. building up. You see like two, like one, then two lightsabers ignite in the mist and they're, they're cleaving through and you know who they are. Yeah. And the narrator's like, who could they be? And the music's going, oh, so I was good. just like, I like stopped working. I was just like, Oh, like, this is this is a lot. I gotta take a break. <laughs> yeah, that, that, what a great finish! It almost almost yeah. takes that good story and turns it into this like, you know, you always get that like western kind of cowboy riding the horse into the sunset. But this was like the opposite. It was almost like this is the sunrise with the Jedi coming towards you out of the mist. You know, yeah. this is the yeah. emergence. Going to war. Yeah, this is the it emergence. So whimsical yeah. and made me feel like a kid. And yeah, I, I really really enjoyed it. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I just hope they do more. I could do with a, a sequel and even make it into a trilogy leading directly into the Clone Wars. I think that'd be great. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah I hope Mike Shen comes back and writes uh, Brotherhood 2 and 3, whatever they're called. <laughs> yeah. Fellas, it was great to have you. Brotherhood 2, still brothers. <laughs> <laughs> Fellas, it was great to have you on the show, and uh, I guess uh, we will all uh, we'll, we'll catch you in the next one. We'll see you out there. Keep flying. All right. Big thank you to all of you guys tuning in at home. And, uh, of course, our uh, participants today, AJ, Bryce, and uh, your co-host, Blake. It was great to have them on, and I'm sure we will see them all again very soon. If you like uh, the sound of Brotherhood, if you haven't read it, maybe you just listen to this podcast to uh, skip reading it, but I do recommend uh, giving this a read. It did come out on May 10th, so it's been a little while since uh, Mike Shin released this jewel to the Star Wars fans. But definitely check it out. It's worth uh, it's worth going through it, whether you're on audio, ebook, hardcover, softcover, whatever it is, you know. The Clone Wars have begun kind of thing. This should be included in anyone's Clone Wars list. Uh, absolutely essential. Uh, definitely on my top 10 essentials and, and uh, really give it a give it a five star, five Pablo points. That's <laughs> what I would say. Uh, there's multiple ways you can follow us on uh, social media at SW Escape Podcast on Twitter, Instagram. Get notified about those new podcast releases. Uh, feel free to shoot us an email, swscapepodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we love hearing from you guys. If you have any uh, reviews of your own you'd like to give us about Brotherhood and what your thoughts were, uh, we'd love to give it a read. Uh, or send us a voice recording to the email as well. Uh, you know, we love hearing those voicemails. Uh, there is a link as well to a SpeakPipe address. I think it's uh, speakpipe, speakpipe.com slash Star Wars Escape Pod. So uh, you can record a voicemail there as well 
And as far as future content on the podcast goes, we've got a few What Happened episodes coming your way uh, with uh, What Happened to Saw Gurira, Mon Mothma, and uh, I believe we're doing uh, doing another one. And uh, I'm blanking on the name. Oh, Cassian Andor, of course, the star of the, the new show coming out on Disney Plus October 31st, I think it is. So make sure you stay tuned for that, as well as uh, recent drops with uh, the, the final episodes of our sub-series, Journey Through Time, taking a look back uh, from the beginning till today about all the teaser trailers between the theatrical releases for the films, then going through the TV shows, starting with the holiday special all the way up until Star Wars The Clone Wars. We'll catch you all in the next one. And may the force be with you.